Thank you, Rod. Sorry about that. Good morning, everyone. Are we all awake? Are we okay? The long readings, I know, but it's okay. It's actually good to, to just read God's Word and um, uh, let God's Word speak for itself. So obviously, I'm going to spend the next four hours working through verse by verse there. Uh, no, we won't do that, but um, we will touch on a number of wonderful things that we've just read, and I hope you noticed a few th- questions that might have been answered. Uh, what's going to happen to Ahab? What's going to happen to Jezebel? So, uh, friends, my, my uh, you know, I'm, I'm fairly hopeless sometimes. I don't have the best of voices, and I've got to look after my voice a lot better than I do. Yet, last night, I was screaming at the television because the Wallabies were playing and losing. So I'm going to have my water with me. I'm going to try to do my best. Feel free at any time to say, Graham, are you looking after your voice this week? I'm happy to take any criticism, but I'm happy to take that especially. Uh, It frustrates me how silly I am sometimes. Anyway, let's pray as we open God's Word and um, ask Him to help us to understand what God's saying to us. Uh, Father, we we pray that you do help us to understand these, uh, these passages Uh, We thank you, Lord, um, that you're a God who uh, promises and a God who keeps his promise. Lord, your word is is sharper than a double-edged sword and it divides soul and spirit. It's living and active. So, Lord, we pray today that you would indeed speak to us and uh, and, uh, help us to understand and help us to live our lives um, the way you'd like us to live them in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, George Orwell of 1984 fame. You remember that book? uh, For me, it was a book that I read uh, a long time ago in school. He said this about the future. If you want a picture of the future, imagine a boot stamping on a human face forever. Wow, he was a life of the party, wasn't he? Good, funny guy. A laugh a minute bloke. Um, The future... The thing is, we don't know what it holds, do we? I don't know. Do you worry about the future? Uh, good, it, it, can, it could be bad. It, it's uncertain. We don't really know. My guess is, it's the stuff that keeps us up at night. Where will I be? What will it look like? What about my children? Will they grow up well? Will we be happy? What will I know about this? Uh, Will I know Jesus? Will it end well? What certainty can we have about the future? Much. (laughs) Much, says the God we read of in the Bible. We find certainty in his promises to us. Now, what we'll discover in God's word today is that God is, God is serious about our future. And he's serious about his promises and he's serious about his word. So we'll see first, and if you want to grab an outline there, it's in the lovely shade of pink. I hope you enjoy that. Uh, we'll see first of all what it looks like when we treat God's word, his promises lightly. And second, we'll see that it's so serious that God judges by his promises. And third, we'll see and we'll, and we'll finally we'll hear 
of God's greatest promises, of God's greatest promise, I should say, which all God's promises find their yes in. So if you don't have a Bible open in front of you, uh, it'd be great if you did. You, you'll get a bit lost without it. Have your Bible open in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, hopefully you can, you can grab one or maybe on your phone or something like that. Um, have the outline there. And let's get, let's get stuck in. We're heading back to 1 Kings, the tale of two thrones. And we're, it's actually our second last talk, by the way. Some of you might be pleased by that. I hope you've enjoyed the series. And I hope you got to know this part of Elijah's story, in particular, as we focused on that. The start of the chapter really sets the scene. It's after about three years of peace with Aram. Aram is, is modern-day Syria, if that helps at all. Uh, Ahab was itching for a fight. You can see, hopefully you can see there, you can see Israel, Judah and Aram to the northeast. Okay? Ahab is, is itching for a fight. So when Jehoshaphat, who must have the coolest name in the Bible, I think. So when Jehoshaphat from Judah came down for a state visit... Ahab broached the idea of taking back Ramath-Gilead. Now, can you see Ramath-Gilead? I'm a bit short, but that's there. It's a bit fuzzy, but anyway, I'm sorry about that. But there, you note that Ramath-Gilead is in Israel territory, yet it was actually governed by Aram. That's important to know. So, Ahab broaches the idea of taking back Ramath-Gilead from Aram, and he needs the help of Judah from the south. Now you might think, well that's fair enough, it's in their territory, but not really. It had nothing to do with Israel's rights. It was more about cold hard cash. Because you see, Ramoth Galid collected taxes. It was a major trade route. So when people came to do trade with Samaria, and that's the orange dot, or even down to Judah, they would go through Ramoth Galid and Ramoth Galid would take the taxes, the trade taxes. And so Aram would be getting the money that really Ahab thought he deserved. It was all about cold, hard cash. So Ahab asks Jehoshaphat if he's up for the fight. So verse 4. So Jehoshaphat, now, very piously and with diplomatic gusto, let's put it that way. He replied to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people, your people my horses, your horses. It's going pretty well so far, isn't it? Good eye, we've got a teammate, fantastic. Verse 5, but, here's the pious bit. Jehoshaphat also said to the king of Israel, first, seek the counsel of the Lord. We should seek the word of the Lord in, on this matter. No problem, says Ahab. I've got a whole flock of my own A-team prophets. Now, what do you call a, a bunch of prophets together? I went with flock. Um, it, could be, it could be gaggle, I'm not quite sure. Um, anyway, he's got his whole, and I make fun of it, and you'll see why in a moment. He's got his whole, his whole, his whole flock of A-team prophets, specially trained up for this type of thing. So verse 6, So the king of Israel brought together the prophets, about 400 of them, and asked them, Shall I go to war against Ramoth Gilead or shall I refrain? As if singing in, singing in unison in the choir, sticking to the script. Go, they answered, for the Lord will give it into the king's hand. But Jehoshaphat leaned in. Bring it in tight, Ahab. Is that it? 
can't be it. No. He's a little bit harder to convince, isn't he? It just seemed too easy. It's a big deal going to war against another nation. This is a big question. In fact, Jehoshaphat is not convinced these are the prophets of the Lord. Even though they claim to speak in the Lord's name, verse 11. Even though verse 24 says they claim to have the spirit of the Lord. And even promise the Lord's success, verse 12, by their words. But Jehoshaphat, uh, he's not convinced. So he asks, is there no longer a prophet of the Lord here whom we can inquire of? Well, Ahab doesn't hold back. See verse 8? Well, there is one prophet through whom we can inquire of the Lord, but I hate him because he never prophesies anything good about me, but always bad. He's Micaiah, son of Imlah. Jehoshaphat's response is amusing. Mate, you can't say that. You can't say that. The king should not say such a thing, he replied. But the, king, the thing is, that's exactly what Micaiah does. He's not a toe-the-party type of, type of guy, toe-the-party-line type of guy. He's, he's no bootlicker. He, he, the approval he sought was God's, not the king's, not man's. He knew who rules, really. He knew which word to trust, which promises stick and which don't. He knew who the judge was. And Ahab hated him for it. You see, I don't think it was because of his personality or his dress sense or the length of Micaiah's beard. Ahab was not interested in what was true or false, only in what was supportive, what's positive, what fits into his plans. That's the sort of God that Ahab wanted. But let's note the positive here too. Even at this point, God has not given up on Ahab. Ahab is not completely cut off from the word of the Lord. See verse 8, remember verse 8? There is still one prophet, he said. God has not given up on Israel. But Ahab does not see the word of God as it truly is. He preferred a a non-truthful, comfortable, make-me-feel-good type word of God, non-judgmental word of God, where his actions are not judged, where sin and guilt are sort of swept under the rug. I'm just going to take a drink for just a minute. Verse 9, Micaiah is sent for, dressed in their royal robes. Verse 10, let's call this throne scene number one. Okay, remember that. Throne scene number one. What we have here, we'll read it in a minute, is this picture of defiance against the one who truly rules. So the two kings, Jehoshaphat and Ahab, they're sitting on their thrones in their royal splendor, high and mighty, very king-like, and all the boot-licking prophets, all 400 of them, 401, Micaiah adds in, they're prophesying away underneath them. Verse 13, the messenger who had gone to summon Micaiah said to him, now look, everyone's saying the same thing, all right? We're all saying the same thing, what the king wants to hear, okay? Now, you better too. Stick to the party line or else. 
and we'll all get home safely. Now, I want you to imagine for a minute this scene. Imagine Micaiah. Imagine the pressure that Micaiah is under. All the prophets, the throne room itself, the kings sitting high and mighty in their royal splendor. All these prophets, and they're even using prophetic formula. They're all saying, thus says the Lord, which gives them great authority. (laughs) And they're, they're, they're all trying to sound trustworthy and they're all agreed together. All 400 said the same thing in unison. Imagine Micaiah. This is a tough scene to speak the truth, is it not? Have you been in a similar situation? At least where it's tough to speak the word of the Lord? Where it's tough to to speak about Jesus? We all have, haven't we? What does Micaiah do? Verse 14. As surely as the Lord lives, I can tell him only what the Lord tells me. You see, the true prophet doesn't control or manipulate God's word. God controls his word. They are his promises. The true prophet does not shape or bend the word to suit his own desires. Micaiah knew that God and his word are not in the business of being watered down or being manipulated or being compromised. There was the true prophet. Friends, one of the reasons why we speak through books of the Bible, and we're going to uh, take a little break in a moment and look at a few chapters in, in Mark's Gospel and look at a few of his, uh, Jesus' miracles. Then we're going to spend a whole bunch of time, uh, a few weeks I should say, probably about eight weeks I think, going through the book of 1 Thessalonians. We, we call it in the, in the business, I guess you could say expository or consecutive expository preaching. Uh, it's consecutive and expository means we take out what the author is saying. Now that's really important because what we want to do, we want to safeguard God's agenda against being hijacked by our own. It's why we don't do a lot of topical preaching and we do now and then, but we don't do a lot of it. We want God's agenda to shape what we hear week in, week out. We give God the microphone, you could put it that way. That's really important. We don't pick and choose. So Micaiah... Verse 15, Micaiah arrives at the scene. He walks in and the king asks him, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead or not? Attack and, be glor- <laughs> Attack and be victorious, he answered, for the Lord will give it into the king's hand. Now, I think he says that with a good dose of sarcasm. I'm not quite sure I got it in my tone of voice there, actually. It's a sad sarcasm because he's been here before. Ahab has ignored him before. Why should this time be any different? Why did you get me up here? We've been here before. For Ahab, the true word of God is irrelevant. The promises of God are not his business. So the king said to him, how many times, in other words, even Ahab knows we've done this little dance before. How many times must I make you swear to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? Okay, all right, Micaiah says, here it comes. You ready? Verse 17, then Micaiah answered, I saw all Israel scattered on the hills like sheep without a shepherd. And the Lord said, these people have no master. In other words, Israel will have no king scattered because he's dead. Let each one go home in peace. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, 
didn't I tell you that he never, didn't I tell you that he never prophesied anything good about me, but only bad? And verse 19, but Micaiah continued, let's pause for a minute. Remember throne scene number one? Remember that? The two kings on the thrones looking down, high and mighty, all in the pomp and splendor. Here's throne scene number two. Here's Ahab's vision that God gave him. Here is the one true and living God on his throne. So verse 19, therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne with all the multitudes of heaven standing around him and on his right and on his left. And the Lord said, who will entice Ahab into attacking Ramoth Gilead and going to his death there? One suggested this, another suggested that. Finally, a spirit came forward, stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. By what means? The Lord asked. I will go out and be a deceiving spirit in the mouths of all his prophets, those 400. You will succeed in enticing him, said the Lord. Now go and do it. So now the Lord has put a deceiving spirit in the mouths of all these prophets of yours, Ahab. Micaiah uh, said to Ahab, the Lord has decreed disaster for you. Little deceptive, you might ask. Fair enough, if you do. Isn't God deceiving Ahab there? I don't think so. Let me tell you why. You see, God, through his mouthpiece, the prophet, is telling Ahab everything. Everything. He's telling him everything, with all the details. But the word of, the, word of God, you see, is just a formality. It's just an irrelevant, uh, irrelevant, irrelevant, that's what I wanted to say. <laughs> Ahab had no intention of listening to it or heeding it. And as a result, he'll suffer the consequences. Friends, when you come to church on a Sunday, or when you meet with your small group during the week, and I hope you're involved with a small group, uh, if you're not, come and see me. See Rod as well, people to talk to. What should you expect when you come to church or when you come to small group? How should we respond? Is the word of God just a formality? Get all over and done with so we can get to morning tea. Get all over and done with so I can get, get on with my day. Uh, or, or is it the true and living God? The true and living God that, that speaks to us, his word that speaks to us in, his, in, his, in the Bible. A sharper than a two-edged sword, living and active. The word which shapes and directs and challenges and ultimately judges us. Well, it's clear which word Ahab wanted. Sadly, though, for Micaiah, well, there's no promise of peace and safety uh, for those who speak the truth. He's thrown into prison scrap of food and water given to him but his parting words to Ahab as he's thrown into the cells are, you see in verse 28 something like how do you know I'm the true prophet then how do you know watch and see see what happens if I if you come back and you're all alive and kicking then clearly I'm not so what will God do in this story it's a great story I hope you're enjoying it what, what will God do well what will the future hold? That's the question, isn't it? What should we expect to happen in our story? See, of course, it's a great spoiler 
this chapter. I, I hate spoilers. I do look at Facebook now and then. And I hate it when people put on Facebook the end of a movie. Wasn't that a great movie? And wasn't the ending great when this happened? What? Who does that? I don't like that. Here is a great spoiler because we know the ending because God has told us. God keeps his promises. God has made a promise and God keeps his promises. It is the great spoiler and he keeps his promises to the letter. You see, it's not the first time Ahab's demise has been prophesied. Remember last week, twice in fact, in the last chapter, we wonder, we wonder what it takes for Ahab to listen to God. 1 Kings 21 verse 19, after Naboth had been murdered, the vineyard, the, the owner of the vineyard, the Lord through the prophet Elijah said, this is what the Lord says, have you not murdered a man and seized his property? In the place where dogs licked up, licked up Naboth's blood, that's Samaria, dogs will lick up your blood, yes, yours. And again, a couple of verses later, 1 Kings 21, verse 21 and 22, the Lord says, I'm going to bring disaster on you. I'll wipe out your descendants and cut off from Ahab every last male in Israel, slave or free. What can we expect to happen next? God will keep his promises. That's what we can expect to happen next. What God promises, God delivers. We're on point two of our outline. Uh, don't stress, we're going to speed up a little, okay? It's okay, hang tight. God's promises in his word as judgment. The battle begins. Ahab wasn't sure of what to do with what Micaiah said, so he, uh, he hedges his bets. He, he, what he does, he, he dresses up as an average soldier. Average soldier who goes in hiding, but he still goes to the battle. That should keep him safe, or good he thinks. Uh, even if the enemy is hunting him down over and above anyone else. We see that in verse 31 to 33. But God's promises are sure. Ahab's plan would fail. It is God who rules. Verse 34, But someone drew his bow at random and hit the king of Israel between the sections of his armour. He spends the rest of the day sitting slumped, hopeless in his chariot. It is a hope, it's meant to be a hopeless point of view uh, picture. You can't take on God and expect to win. You can't treat God's word as a formality, as an irrelevant. I'm having trouble with that word today, aren't I? Uh, as irrelevant and expect to come out on top. You, you can't do that. And the blood from his wound ran onto the floor of the chariot and that evening he died. As the sun was setting, a cry spread through the army, every man to his town, every man to his land. So the king died and was brought to Samaria and they buried him there. They washed the chariot at a pool in Samaria where the prostitutes bathed and the dogs licked up his blood just as the word of the Lord had declared, just as God promised it would happen. What about Jezebel? 1 Kings 21, 23, it was prophesied that dogs would devour Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. 2 Kings 9, that other long chapter that, that Andrew read so well, describes her death. Uh, yeah, it was pretty gory, wasn't it? Splattered blood and all. But word for word, down to the letter, this is how Jezebel dies. 
for Jezebel's behaviour in 2 Kings 9, I don't know if you picked up on it, it was the pinnacle of her audacious arrogance that we see in Ahab and Jezebel. Uh, as her death approaches, as uh, in the form of the newly appointed King Jehu of Israel, Jezebel, what's she doing? She's putting a lippy on. She's putting a bit of blush on, you know, whatever it is. Um, <laughs> not an expert. Uh, she's putting her makeup on. Putting her makeup on. She refuses to believe that God would do what he said he would do. It's astounding, isn't it? And later in the same chapter, King Jehu would be given the task of fulfilling the Lord's prophecy by wiping out Ahab's descendants. That was promised uh, back in 1 Kings 21, verse 21. That's the, the, the sheep scattered on a hill um, without a shepherd. God's promises, in this case, the judgment of Ahab and Jezebel, are sure and trustworthy. Now, in your outline on the back there, I've worked up a little table you can enjoy in your own spare time, which shows down to the letter how God keeps his promises. See, uh, friends, God, God is not, as some people say in Australia, it's a bit of Australian slang if you like, God is not a goner. Uh, sorry, God is not a gunner. You know what a gunner is? Uh, a gunner is someone who says, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. But he never actually does anything. This is not God. God keeps his word, it keeps his promises. What God says he will do, he does. Well, finally, let's tie some things together and let's be reminded of the greatest promise God has ever made. The inescapable reality of this world and our future of being human is, as God promises in his word, that we all face death and judgment. Hebrews 9.27 tells us that. And not necessarily the type of judgment that we read about today, the judgment of Ahab and Jezebel was a, a shadow of the judgment to come when Jesus returns. That rubs us up the wrong way sometimes. We don't like the idea of God writing the ultimate report card on our lives, grading our performance. It doesn't sit well with us. Don't judge me common phrase and like a school report card the inevitability of it can scare us when I was a high school teacher I taught PDHPE um, uh, one year I had at a big school I had close to 500 uh, 500 reports to write <laughs> and, and all of them um, needed uh, a comment from me it was a difficult task to say the least and so what will I do? I cut corners, of course. Uh, <laughs> I made up the world's most impressive, I thought, comment bank to draw from. Cut and paste, cut and paste, cut and paste, cut and paste. I thought it was impressive. I, I stuck in all those teachery words, you know those teachery words that no one really uses except teachers? Uh, some of our teachers are away at the moment, um, but that's okay. We can talk about them and make fun of them. Um, and... Uh, you know, it's teacher with diligence. It's a teachery word. Not many people use that word. Um, potential, or lack thereof of. Yes. Um, effort. And the classic, of course, is not angry, but disappointed. <laughs> All I had to remember was to change the names and the gender. You know, that's pretty easy, you'd think, wouldn't you? 
Actually, you know what? I did pretty well. I only got a couple of comments back from parents wondering why I called their son Elizabeth. <laughs> what? <laughs> See, will I, will I get straight A's on God's report card on me? Will I pass? What will the future hold? But here is God's greatest promise, the greatest promise God has ever made, a promise like all the others he will keep. You can be found not guilty. That's what Hebrews 9.28 tells us. You see, the truth is that none of us will pass under God's judgment. We all fall short and we all sin. We are like Ahab when we treat God's word and his promises as an irrelevance. But by trusting in God's, pro God's greatest promise of Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross for you, by believing God's promises, which all find their yes in Jesus, 2 Corinthians tells us, you can be, you can be found not guilty. In fact, God says we'll get straight A's, a perfect in his sight before the throne of God we have a perfect plea Jesus the Son of God Jesus is God's greatest promise a certain and sure future in Jesus so how's your sleep <laughs> I'm not a great sleeper Sometimes I, I worry and sometimes I think of all the things I want to do. Uh, you can tell, ask my wife about that. I toss and turn a bit. Sometimes I'm worried about the future. But I shouldn't be. Because when I lay my head down on my pillow, I should rest. And I should rest in the goodness of God. I should rest and sleep well in the promises of God. That God keeps his promises. Uh, in the promises of God, in fact in the promise, the God's greatest promise. And that, of course, is Jesus, our perfect plea. So sleep well, not right now, though, in the sure and certain future as we put our trust in Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you uh, that we have read uh, that, God, you are a God who keeps his promises. Lord, you're a God who whose word we need it that you treat seriously in those promises and we need to treat seriously. And Lord, we thank you for your greatest promise, a promise that you've shown you've kept in the death, the life, death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray, we pray today that we would put our trust in Jesus. We would put our trust in your promises. And uh, as a little practical thing, Lord, as we lay our head down on our pillow, we pray that we trust in your promises and know that our future in Jesus is certain and secure and firm. So it's in Jesus' name we can pray. Amen.